You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I just wanted to uh, read Ephesians 3 uh, over us today um, as a blessing. Uh, I think the difference between, you know, an instruction or encouragement and a blessing is, you know, with equipping and instruction, we're leaving here with something to do. Um, but with a blessing, it's just something to receive, something to agree with. And I thought that would be good use of our time. We're going to have a little bit of corporate prayer at the end and just a time to set our hearts uh, before the Lord and just put first things first um, and, um, and just make, make a decision to agree with what he wants to give us. But we can't change his mind or his heart on, you know, what he's doing in our year. We don't have to be worried to the slightest degree of um, God's goodness towards us. But uh, if you're there... With me in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm just going to read straight through it and then make a few um, comments. So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his Spirit, In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. That you would somehow grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ for you. That through power, together with all the Lord's holy people, you grasp how, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Man, that's a good blessing. If we left here, somehow we could even an ounce of that in our spirit. I think we would be you know, the richer for it. Um, uh, don't know what your um, opinions are. We as Christians can have a lot of opinions, don't we? Uh, everybody's got their opinion uh, on uh, goals. You know, there's even hot buttons on goals. I mean, should we write goals or the resolutions? Is that self-improvement, some, side of a, some sort of a self, you know, salvation mechanism in us? You know, is, is that a sense of, of arrogance you know, to, to plan out your year as though you can outplan God's plans? Uh, you might think of you know, Abraham when you think about the silliness of goals. Abraham didn't have a five-year plan. His whole life was going to a place he didn't know where he was going. That's the whole premise, I guess, of Abraham or every other disciple is like, you might have a five-year plan that's cute, but you can prom- I can promise you that if God's in your life, you're not going to, or something's at least going to be different from the thing that you write down. It might be vaguely reminiscent, but not exactly the same as what you wrote down. Uh, because ultimately, like, if I make a plan and I buy myself a sweater and I wrap it in a box and I put it in a gold paper and I put it under your tree and I go and unwrap it, it's not a gift, it's a plan. <clears throat> I can't give myself <laughs> a gift. <laughs> I have to just receive it. So in a way, you might argue, make the argument like, Goals are silly. You know, Christianity and goals don't, don't, don't mix. But there's also, you know, pro-gold people. And, and I think that Paul is a guy that wasn't wandering through his life. I think that Paul had an agenda. He had a plan. He had three missionary journeys he spent his life on. He knew where he was going to go. And after that, he knew where he was going. Sometimes God detoured his plan. But for the most part, he didn't start just like a feather in the wind. Like he had an agenda. He had, he had vision, you know, for his life. And, and so maybe, you know, you might start to do some inventory and realize sometimes we don't make plans because we don't want to see God let us down in the desires of our heart. 
We don't have desires because if you don't have desires, you can't, can't get let down. And so sometimes the avoidance of goals is actually non-Christian because intimacy you know, requires sometimes risk and trust. And so I think really the, the, the heart, the, the, the lock key, you know, the, the, the answer, I suppose, is, is really Jesus' prayer. That Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he says to his father, I do have plans. I'm a human being. I have desires. Like to, to not have a desire is probably to be dead in some way, you know, not to be fully awake, fully alive. Um, humans are, are, are geared with desires, but I'm going to go ahead and choose. I'm going to put my desires under your desires. The best place for me to put my will is under your will. And so really, it's not a matter of if we have goals or not have goals. It's really more like, do we make our goals with Jesus? Do we make our plans and let God direct our steps? Do we take our will and have a good will, have good desires for whatever it is, health and family and safety and all these things, but say, you know what? I'm going to trust that if it's between my will and your will, I'd rather have your will than mine. And put my will under your will, and that's, a, that's the best place for me to put my will. So, so here's Ephesians. And uh, little known fact, Paul doesn't write Ephesians, you know, uh, like, like, uh, like some of us just go out on coffee dates and just share whatever it is that's coming to our mind. Like every letter that we ever get from Paul is written through really a whole cooperative of people that are writing and editing these letters. And some of these letters, like the letter of Ephesians, might have cost upwards of thousands of dollars to send a letter like this from prison. Uh, he's a marked man by this time. He's in a, a Roman prison. He doesn't have a lot of time just to shoot the breeze. And so without a lot of time, without a lot of money, we can pretty much trust that every letter in here, as much as I would prep for a sermon you know, for X amount of hours for, for a week, this guy's got more hours in this letter than any sermon you've ever heard. Like he is calculating every little last letter, okay? Not wasting any of these, any of these words. And you might remember Ephesians is um, six chapters, and, and basically it goes like this. If you don't know how to see well, you're not going to know how to do well. Like, if you, if you don't understand what something is, you don't know how to treat it. So Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about the unseen world, that we're sitting in heavenly places and we have this identity and so forth. And so you're not going to know how to, from Ephesians 4 through 6, treat your kids and treat your spouse and treat your boss and your employees. If you don't understand how to see well, you're not going to be able to know how to live well. So... You can't read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 helps us see the world the way that it needs to be. And then 4 through 6 helps us how to do our life in light of what we see. And in the middle of there's a real big word. You guys remember this word? It's therefore. The therefore teaches us how to translate the seeing into the doing. And just before he, he does the therefore, he, it says right here, just remember what he does? Just before he does this really strange thing that your APUS history teacher did not do. And he drops to his knees in prayer. For you and for me. Imagine if I was like, you know, so then the Boston Massacre happened and, you know, and the colonists were real upset and they were like, darn the man. And, you know, they dressed up like Indians and buried tea in the water in the Boston Harbor. And Lord, I just pray for the spirit of revolution just to come into this place of the sons and daughters of liberty. Like, imagine a teacher thinking that it's so important that this lesson not only gets across to the minds, but also the hearts of the listener, that he stops teaching and for five verses decides the best thing that I'm going to do more than trying to get them to understand something, is pray that they see it. I'm going to pray that the power of the resurrected Jesus opens their eyes to finally, because I know that as good as a teacher that I possibly could be, it wouldn't make a difference if the Holy Spirit doesn't open their eyes to see what I'm talking about. So that's the framework of really what, what Paul's message is. Without a lot of time, without a lot of money, Ephesians is a great book. That dude could, is a teacher. He knows how to teach. 
decides that teaching has its time and place and decides to stop teaching so they might pray. And watch this as we, as we, as we read through this prayer today. Notice, notice in a calculated, budgeted preacher guy that's praying, what's not on this list. On the list that we just read, you don't have Aunt Peggy's ankle. He loves Aunt Peggy. Would love to pray that his will would be Aunt Peggy's ankle would get healed. Does not pray for Aunt Peggy's ankle. He does not pray that the church would tithe more. He doesn't pray that people would come safely and go safely to their New Year's places. He doesn't pray that people would stop their sinning. Here's what he prays. If Paul had 10 minutes to write a $10,000 letter and was teaching the best sermon you could ever hear and is about to get from the seeing into the doing and hits the therefore and hits his knees in prayer, here's what he's going to pray for you and for me. This is the most important prayer that Paul prays, and I'm assuming that this is the will of the Father as well, is that Paul prays that the church will somehow and someday know the love of Christ. If there's anything that Paul or the Holy Spirit would want for us uh, in our year as we come out of this place and head into the next year, into 2024, all the doing and the busyness and the tips and the, and the sermons and the, and the podcasts and the, and the gifts and the safety and all the things that you could possibly could pray for, they're great things, there's a hierarchy here. And underneath all of those other things, the highest thing, the best thing that Paul seems to want to pray for and hit his knees to pray for in this prison for this church in Ephesus is that we would know the love of Christ. He's talking to Christians here. This is the reality that must be true in light of this prayer, is that you could get a glimpse of the love of Christ, but somehow be limited in your scope to not understand how wide it is. Like your, your faith and the sort of vision for what you have is only for like maybe America, but probably just the South. Like, it's narrow. You only have, an, we, we have this little tiny glimpse. And if you don't see something good, you can't treat it good. If you don't know how wide it is, that it's for Portugal, you know, and Spain and Russia and China. Like, if you don't have a wide vision for the love of God, for the nations, your problems are going to seem huge. Because the love of God is too narrow. And, he, and God's not, God doesn't want your eyes narrow so that you don't understand the life and the blessings you have in front of you. So he's just not going to placate our narrowness. And he's going to push and stretch and work on us until the love of God gets wide in our lives. We have such a short-term vision for like what God needs to do for me right now or else he's not good. He, wasn't, he, he, was, you know, he was really good in 2008, but that was too long ago for me. So he's no longer good because we have a short, we, have, we know the love of God, but he's praying to Christians and he's saying, but you know some of it, but you don't know the length of it. You don't know in your spirit. And so I'm going to pray for you on this because if you don't see it good, you're not going to do it good. You need to know how long is the love of God. You're so intimidated by the people in charge and that person, that Saul in your life that's chasing you around and antagonizing you and your family. And you're, 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 you actually think that your bully is bigger than God. And that's a problem. And I'm going to use this year, whether you like it or not, to make sure you understand that God's, lo- that God's love is higher than that person. He's going to outlast that person's authority, even if it's false. He's deeper than the boxes that you put him in. There's a, there's a cozy little routine that you do, and the, you know, it's just a certain little thing. I get my coffee, and it's just it needs to be 136 degrees, but if it's not, I'm going to freak out. This little fragile, delicate uh, uh, box, this vehicle that you think God will only work in this way, and if he doesn't work in this way, and he's like, listen, I'm so much deeper than that, and I'm going to allow 
that soil to actually grow dry to you so that it doesn't satisfy you anymore. Not because it, it's not good, it's just that it's, you need to have a, you need to, Get your roots down deeper to get some more nourishment than just the little box that you have. I mean, you need to have a deeper vision for God's love. Walking through this verse here. So verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Did you notice that um, Paul does not call God a genie? He does not say, um, Dear genie in heaven, I'm going to shake the lamp and get you to do something. And he doesn't say, My general. I, you know, you're the commanding officer, and I just, I yes, sir, it, and I just do what you say, and you know, you're going to help the good guys win. He calls him a father, right? And look at this. Underneath that, almost in parallel and tandem with the Jesus Lord, Lord's Prayer, he says, here's what fathers do. They, they provide. They do give you gifts. And they do protect you. They offer you safety. But that's not their major concern. Look what it says in verse 15. The major concern of a father is that a child knows their name. Identity. Safety, yes. Security, yes. But not at the expense of identity. More than what I give you or what I protect you from, I want you to know who you are. And I want you to know whose you are. One time my dad gave me an Optimus Prime. My dad's an Asian dad. He doesn't give you stupid little toys. He pays you for your college. That's what Asian dads do. Every now and again, they'll just decide to be nice. And he gave me an Optimus Prime. And I remember, that's why I'm remembering it here at 40 years old. He gave me one gift. And that's why I'm the way that I am. Okay, We are so thankful our parents give us stuff. We're so thankful that parents give us the means to get more stuff. How many parents were glad that when you got that $100 check from your grandma, they made you give 10 of the dollars to your savings account? Or, or some type of, some of us have savings, I still have savings bonds from 1992. Parents give us stuff, they give us means for stuff, but more than that, they give us the, the, the gift in, in, in the installation of identity of who we are, not just what we have. And so this is, seems what, what, what God is doing is... is is he wants to give us stuff, he wants to give us safety, but he wants to tell us who we are. Who are you when the chips are against you? Who are you when you're misunderstood? Who are you when it doesn't add up and it doesn't work out? This is what it seems that God is most concerned about, is, is instilling identity. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know what kind of power you have by what it does. You know, electricity is going to shock things and turn on iPhones. And political power can shift lobbyists and make changes within a government. And beauty can really make everybody turn and watch somebody as they walk into a room. But God's power comes to bring life. God's power comes to bring spiritual life to make us fully alive. Verse uh, 17, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. So I'll land with this. Um, we hear these statistics every now and again, um, but it's almost like every time we hear them, they're still more startling and, and they're, still, they're still more convicting and clarifying, I think, you know, for why things are the way they are and, and how our heart is ordered. Um, but it's really powerful that you know, the left and the right can really not agree on anything. If you notice this politically, the left and the right can't agree on anything. And one thing they can agree on is the statistics and the, um, the detriment of fatherlessness in the nation. Like the connection between pain, um, crime, poverty, uh, uh, lack of education, like, like all of the spiritual, emotional, and e even economic problems that come out of fatherlessness in homes. So I'm just going to read these statistics, and we all know what they're going to say, because we live them. 
let alone read them in the Bible, and we can see them written all over the, all over the, you know, the walls when it comes to, to our life and society. But, I mean, some of these statistics are just kind of staggering. 90% of all homelessness and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 30 times the average. 85% of all children showing behavior disorders come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. 80% of rapists anger, with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. Children that actively engage fathers perform much better in school. Some data shows that 33% are less likely to repeat a class, and 43% get A's in schools if they have fathers in the home. In a study of 56 school shootings, only 10 of the shooters, 18%, were raised in stable homes with both, both biological parents. These are staggering statistics. In a study of 75 juvenile delinquents, 66 experiences fatherness, fatherlessness, 20% had never lived with their father, and 25% had alcoholic fathers. Some data suggests that children without fathers in the home are 272. Like, what in the world could you have in your life that would predicate a 279% increase in a chance that something's going to happen just because of this one cause and effect chain? One cause and effect domino could cause you to have 279% more likelihood of carrying a gun or dealing drugs compared to peers. 279%, good grief. On the whole, some data suggests that fathers' kids are 20 times more likely to be incarcerated. Other data suggests that children who are close to their fathers have 80% less, less time of spending in jail. It's just, it's just like, it's unilateral in the understanding. It is like um, uh, convincing, you know, sweeping, a sweeping argument for, for the importance of, nothing against, obviously, moms, but father, fathers um, are significant in the home. And I'd probably make the argument as we experience it, as we read about it in Scripture and walk it out in daily life, is that um, fathers... Um, both earthly fathers and ultimately it's only our heavenly father can fill that spiritual gap and void in our life. But the voice of a father um, helps our identity not be formed by the events and circumstances of our life, but on a voice that comes into our heart. That identity is the keystone of our life as individuals and as a society. And the key that opens up that keystone is if my identity is based on a voice or, or events, whether it's based on a voice, a, a voice or my circumstances. If I do not have a voice of, a, of the Father in my life that Jesus wants to introduce us to in a deep relationship with our Father, then my identity will be based on my success. That whether or not it's the grades, or if I'm pretty enough or strong enough, or if I made the play or made the team, it's not just that I had a bad event in my life, it's that I become that event. And if I do not have a voice to navigate me through the echoes of the events, then my identity will not just react to the event, it will become the event. I'll become an event. My identity will be predicated on the desires, whether it's my sexual desires, or it's my preferences of culture, or it's my habits. I don't just practice a desire, I become that desire. I get swallowed up by that desire if I do not have a voice that guides my identity rather than events. If it's society, whether or not my friends accept me or this clique accepts me or that group accepts me, then the society will define my identity, not the voice of an authority or the voice of, of my father. And so what is, what is Paul praying? This makes sense now because if he doesn't pray that we're going to be rooted together in holy love and established in, in the father's love, then the default mode for humanity, will be, we will be, instead of rooted together and established, we're going to be uprooted, isolated, and unestablished. And so this is where I, where I want to land Expectations is everything for 2024. If I invite you to Disneyland and you end up in Navy SEAL training, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be like, why is all this sand here? 
And why does Mickey look like he wants to hurt me? You know? Like, somebody get me a Google review. I'm not happy. This is a dissatisfied customer. If I think that God is a genie, I'm going to be disappointed if he comes out to be a father. I'm going to be upset. So you're not going to change God's mind in 2024 by setting your goals to make him what you want him to be, right? So you can decide how comfortable you are in the situation, but you're not in Disney World. (laughs) You're sitting in the lap of your father, and he's not going to lower the standard according to your goals. He's going to say, I know my will is better than yours, so I'm not going to let your goals eclipse my will for you. My will is that you're going to be rooted in love, together with God's holy people, and established and gripped by by God. That's what I want for you. And you might be slow or obstinate or sideways or manipulative. It doesn't matter. Like, my will is going to outlast your will because I'm a good father. There's only one word. Do you know in in the word, you know, the Bible is so, it's like, it's good because it's clear, but it's also like challenging because it doesn't give you a ton of information. There's only really one word that tells parents how to parent. You know what it is in Ephesians? This is the advice for us parents. This is literally this simple. Don't make your, your kids angry. This is what the, the advice from Paul is. Don't exasperate your, parent, your kids. You know what that means? It means that kids know, kids see how much you love football. They see it. They know how much you love performing at work. They know how much you love, you know, the way that a, you know, uh, a movie or a song or whatever comes together. Like, they see where your delight lives. And if your discipline for them exceeds the amount of delight you have for them, then they'll be feeling, they'll, they'll, they'll receive your parenting as being a problem and not a blessing. They'll see your parenting as, as something to just keep them quiet or keep them a good prop for your Instagram filter. And so children, like, like it's the, the rate of amount of discipline they can take from you is really coordinated with how much they really believe you actually like them how much you actually see them and like think of them as a gift as opposed to something that's too loud, you need to be quiet. And so exasperation is just the gap between how much they believe that you delight in them versus how much you're disciplining them. The father is a good father. And for us to ex- experience his love, not as exasperation, but to experience it as the depth, the width, the breadth of love, is that they're, they're, that's why Paul prays this, is because your life is about to get maybe harder this year than it ever has been before. And so more than ever before, so that you don't get exasperated, you need to experience the love of Christ. You need to experience. So here's just a couple. I just had a couple of ideas of how this might look for us this year. And then we're going to have, have, some, have some prayer. How do, you, how do you grow wider in the love of Christ? Or how might God grow us wider in the love of Christ even if we don't like it? Even against our own permission to do so. Um. We grow, grow wider by, um, by seeing a greater circumference of, of who he loves and how much he loves. Have you ever been to a mission uh, trip before and realized how big you thought your life was and actually it's really small? How much you get, you go to a mission trip and you realize the mission trip actually was, you're the, they're the missionary and you're the one that got targeted. And you go to these mission trips and one of the things you realize is like, man, I think I'm really important. And so whether or not you go to Peru or whether or not you go to China this year, whether you go across the street, my guess is that whether you put it on your moleskin or not, God's going to put you in situations to realize, you realize that he's bigger than your life is. And you're going to need to see, you're going to talk to people this year that are different from you. You're going to talk to people that speak different languages than you, that are, have different sin patterns than you. And our option is to go kicking and screaming or to agree with Jesus. But high water or any, heaven or high water... He's going to stretch us so that we could see his, his love is wider this year than last year. 
Here's how really sanctification works. This is what I've come to understand, is that we see that God's goodness outlasts our idols. You know what a good trial will do for you? It'll help you to realize that the good things in your life that you lean on, like your friends or uh, little coping mechanisms or um, little habits that you have, like you're going to cling on to those things and always cling on to those things, the only way that we can get freed up from our idols is to realize they're bankrupt. So he's going to put you through a season that's so long, it bankrupts your idol so that your taste buds are not there for it. As long as you, it's like, you're going to do what you want. And so the, the, so the goal then is not like, let me make my, my child more disciplined to just overcome their desires. It's to realize how bankrupt the desire is. And once that thing's bankrupt, I'm not going to run to it because I know it's stupid. If you run out on a branch and it breaks. And so this year, you're going to figure out he's longer and more everlasting than your idol is. And, and the sanctification process is not the dojo of discipline so much as it is he changes the desire because you realize it's bankrupt. Uh, three, that he, is, um, that he is higher. That he is higher. Here's the thing about the authority of God and uh, the authority of do you have, did you know that most of the Bible is just about people abusing authority? Did you notice that like half the book is like kings, idiots that have too much power? Do you have any idiots in your life that have too much power, right? <laughs> you know, you probably think about me as your pastor, right? People that have authority misuse it because they're not Jesus. And here's how he, how he solves that. You know what he says? It's Psalm 37, it's, it's Matthew 5, is that when an evil person gets power and abuses it, uh, to God, they're like a blade of grass. And they're here today, and they're gone tomorrow. And it is so good for us to live long enough to see the mighty fall and the humble get raised up. And when that happens, something deep inside of our heart, that, that it's not just singing something we don't believe, but actually believing and knowing what we know, is that evil thrives for a day, but meek inherit the earth. And God is higher than those in charge. And so time is on the gospel side. Time is on your side. And what he's going to do this year to teach you that God is higher than you thought is he's going to have proud people fall this year. And you don't even have to do Romans says that to see evil fall, you just duck. <laughs> Love your enemy and watch while heaping coals pour on people. You don't have to control the situation. He's going to exonerate. He's going to vindicate his church and the people that are low before him. He's going, to, he's going to show you he's higher. Uh, and lastly, he's going to show you that he's deeper. Like, like the reason why that one spiritual discipline that was working, it's not that reading at 7 o'clock in the morning is a bad thing, but sometimes it's just us. We make our habits into our Savior. And he can't have us making our habits into our Savior. And so he's going to show us that he's deeper. He's deeper, he's deeper than our little boxes that we put in there. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.